If you've been with us through this Lenten series, then you know that um, we have been talking about what it takes to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I found both interesting and helpful is thinking about the people who were the first of many who would follow Jesus. We learn from the gospel stories in the New Testament three important things about these very first followers of Christ. First, they weren't perfect. They were not perfect, so there's hope for us. We don't have to be perfect to follow Jesus. We come to him just the way we are, and then we allow Jesus to begin to change us. Second, they didn't believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord. They didn't even recognize or understand what it meant to call him Messiah. But they followed anyway, and they learned along the way, which is, again, good news for us, because there are times when we struggle to understand what it means to call Jesus the Lord of our life. So much of the time, we want to be in control. And then third, we also learn that at times we are all more of a consumer of Jesus than we are a follower. One of the key first followers of Jesus, one of the four fishermen and the man to whom, on whom Jesus would build his church was a man by the name of Peter. And he started out as a consumer, certainly not a follower. Think of what it means for us in today's culture to be a consumer. We buy something because we think that it will help make our life better, don't we? We consume something because we're told that it will make us happy, it will satisfy us in some way. Think of some of the great ad campaigns and slogans through the years that have driven this point home. And here's the first one. GE, we bring good things to life. Burger King, have it your way. Have a Coke and smile because Coke adds life. You see, this mentality is true also when we think about Jesus. If we follow Jesus just to improve our lives or just to make us feel a little bit better, we're being a consumer. If we follow Jesus so that we can get something out of him, you know, at the end of our life, like going to heaven, then we're simply being a consumer. These aren't bad things, and many of us start out following this way, but Jesus doesn't want consumers who are only in it for themselves. He wants followers. And there's a very big difference. Last week we learned from Peter that to follow means things like sacrifice sometimes and even suffering. It means giving up our will and following God's will. It means denying ourselves and taking up the cross. Ultimately, Peter did this. And he discovered what it meant to be a Christ follower and while he struggled several times to follow Jesus and even failed some of the time, ultimately Peter did set aside his will and he picked up the cross and he followed. And today we're going to look at someone who struggled to give up his wants and his desires and at the end chose not to. This person was also one of Jesus' first followers, one of his disciples, and his name was Judas. We don't know a lot about Judas and why he chose to follow Jesus, but we do learn that Judas was much more of a consumer than he was a follower. He followed Jesus to get what he wanted for himself. And we see that clearly in one particular incident that happened near the end of Jesus' ministry. Listen to these words from John's Gospel, the 12th chapter. 
Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany at the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. And then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, That perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Jesus replied, Leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So Judas was a consumer of Jesus. He followed Jesus in order to help himself to the money that the group collected to support them in their work. And while he never, we never hear how Jesus supports himself or where this money came from that was in their money bag, it did take money to sustain this group as they traveled from town to town. So they clearly, uh, so the money clearly came from somewhere, but Judas enjoyed being a follower because he was treasurer of the group. And he got what he wanted, and that was money. And as long as Jesus was popular and crowds loved him, the money was there. And as long as it looked like Jesus was going to be a powerful leader, a ruler, the promise of money was there. But when Jesus started to talk about things like suffering and denial and even death, the prospect of wealth and riches declined rapidly. The turning point for Judas seemed to come at this dinner. At this dinner, which was at the home of Mary and Martha, a woman comes in and she pours a pint of expensive perfume on Jesus. And it is more than Judas can stand, so he complains about the waste of money. The perfume was worth a year's wages, and while Judas said it could have been sold to help the poor, this is not really what he expected to be done with it. He wanted the money for himself. He wanted to add the money to the collection so that he could help himself to it anytime he wanted. Judas is not thinking about Jesus in the beautiful act of love and devotion given to him by this woman. He's not thinking about the poor and the ways that he could help them. He's thinking about himself and what he wants to get out of following Jesus. He wants money. And while Judas followed Jesus, he maintained his own wants and desires. He refused to let them go. You see, we all begin to follow Jesus, holding on to our own desires, our own wants and needs. We follow asking God to bless our plans, to help us accomplish what we want to accomplish in life. We begin to follow still focused on what we want, and we hope that Jesus never asks us to really let go of that. So in some sense, we all begin to follow as a consumer looking for what we can get and what we want from Jesus. But for all of us, there comes this point in time when we will be challenged because we will find that our will is not always the same as God's will. And our desires are not the same as God's. As the agenda for our lives competes with God's will, we learn that we can't have it both ways. We will have to make a choice, and this is called a defining moment. For every one of us, that defining moment will look a little different. But it is that turn from death to life. 
For Peter, it was the challenge to deny himself and carry a cross, which he did. Judas is faced now with his own defining moment. But unlike Peter, this story shows what happens when we hang on to our own desires. Judas was upset that Jesus allowed this perfume to go to waste. For Judas, this was the last straw because there were so many other times when Jesus could have done something to gain power and position and money and chose not to. And what Judas wanted to get from Jesus were those very things, and this was conflicting with what Jesus wanted. Jesus simply was looking for a sacrificial love that forgives and redeems. And so holding on to his own wants and his own desires, Judas takes action. In Matthew's Gospel, the 26th chapter, we find the same story of the woman anointing Jesus, but we also see what happens to Judas after the meal. In response to Judas, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whenever, wherever the, gospel, the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. And then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples, went to the leading priests and asked, how much will you pay me to betray Jesus to you? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. And from that time on, Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. Judas agrees to hand over Jesus to the chief priests. He betrays Jesus into the hands of the religious leaders. Now let's just stop and think about that for a moment. That Judas thinks he can actually hand Jesus over seems really absurd when we think about all that Judas has seen in Jesus. You see, Judas was there when Jesus silenced the storm and calmed the seas. So Judas saw the power and the authority that Jesus had over nature. Judas was there when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. So Judas knew that Jesus had power and authority over death itself. Judas was there when, Je when Jesus restored sight to the blind and made the lame walk and, and healed lepers. And Judas was there when Jesus silenced the religious leaders and walked away from their plans to destroy him. Judas had seen all of this power and authority in Jesus, and yet he wants what he wants so badly that he is blind to who Jesus really is and the power that Jesus has. He actually believes that he can insert himself somehow and his will over God's will. And looking at it that way, it seems absurd for Judas to do this, but yet again, we do the same things, don't we? When we only call on God, when we need God to step in and help us and do what we want God to do for us, or when we ask God to do things our way and in our time, and then ignore God until we need him again, we're acting much the same way Judas did. We are consumers looking to get what we want from Jesus. Judas was trying to get Jesus to do what he wanted him to do, and Judas was trying to force Jesus' hand by turning him over to the religious leaders because if they arrested Jesus, then Jesus would have to reveal who he was to the world. And if that happened, then the disciples would all rise up to positions of power and authority, and they would have all the money they ever wanted. Judas was saying to Jesus, I want what I want, and I'm going to do what I have to do to get it, regardless of what you want. So on the night of the Passover, Judas 
saw an opportunity to betray Jesus. And Jesus said that they were all going to go alone out to the Garden of Gethsemane. The garden was a remote place outside of the city. And at night, no one would be around, so it was the perfect time and the perfect place for Judas to give Jesus into the hands of the religious leaders. Judas told them to come to the garden and arrest the man that he would greet with a kiss. So Jesus and the disciples go to the garden, and then Judas and the soldiers of the high priest arrive, and Judas greets Jesus with a kiss, and Jesus is arrested. So far, everything is going the way Judas had planned it, but the next day, something unexpected happens. Look at Matthew 27. Very early in the morning, the leading priests and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. And when Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care? They retorted. That's your problem. Judas handed Jesus over to the religious leaders, knowing that religious leaders did not have the power to execute someone. They could arrest, they could put people on trial, but they had no power to execute them. Judas betrayed Jesus, thinking that a trial would force Jesus to make himself known as the Messiah. And that would only raise Jesus to a position of power and raise up all the other disciples as well, which is exactly what he wanted. But when the religious leaders decided to hand Jesus over to Pilate and to the Romans to be killed, Judas realizes that his plan has gone horribly wrong. But this was uh, why Judas tried to return the money and repent of his actions. But for Judas, it was too late. He can't undo what he's already done. You see, there are some choices in life that we can't undo. There's some choices and decisions and actions that we take in life that we can't undo. We can only ask for forgiveness, but we can't go back. And Judas couldn't go back. Not only did, uh, could Judas not go back, but we also see here that God's plan could not be stopped. What Judas was trying to do was keep Jesus from dying. But God's hand can't be forced and God's will can't be thwarted. And we can't impose our wants over God's will because God's will can be changed. And if we insist on our will and getting our own way and things, uh, doing things our way, we're always going to lose. And Judas lost. Not only were his plans turned upside down, but the rest of the story doesn't end well for Judas. Look at Matthew 27, 5. It says, Then Judas threw the silver coins down in the temple, and he went out and hanged himself. By trying to live his life his way, his own way, and seeking only what he wanted, Judas ended up with nothing. To put it into the words of Jesus, Judas tried to save his life, but in the end, he lost his life. He tried to gain the whole world, but he ended up losing his soul. Consumers follow Jesus looking for and asking only for what they want. Consumers believe in what they think will lead them to fulfill their hopes and dreams in life. And nowhere do we see that more than in the basketball shoe market. We're talking March Madness here, aren't we? This is the time of year, so let's have an analogy to the basketball shoe market. Back in my high school days, um, 
back in the late 60s, we believed that we wore, if we wore the right shoe, we could be an all-star. And back then, the right shoe was the Converse All-Stars, which have made a comeback in today's market. But by the time I went to college in 1970 and played basketball there, the new shoe was the Adidas. Adidas had come and flooded the market, and we all had to go out and buy a pair of Adidas. And it was some years later that a lot of kids believed that if they, they could play like the great Michael Jordan, if they could just be outfitted with Nike Air Jordans. You see, we bought and we used those shoes to fulfill our wants and our dreams. But when we follow Jesus, there will be times when what we want will compete or be in tension with what God wants. And while the temptation will be for us to just do it, what we need to do is to stop and pray a simple but honest prayer. Now, I kind of doubt that most of us get up every morning and pray this prayer. I could be wrong. Maybe you all do. I'm the, I'm the only one who doesn't. But I kind of doubt that most of us get up every morning praying this prayer. God, I want what you want more than I want what I want. And we don't pray that because we know we're not always that honest. We, we don't always want what God wants, do we? But that doesn't change the fact that the prayer of a Christ follower still needs to be God. I want what you want more than I want what I want. You see, in all of our lives, there have been those times when our wants and our desires have not always lined up with God's desire for us. And while we want to pray, God, you know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we find that we are often just not ready to say that or at least be honest about that. But going deeper in our faith is getting to the point where we're able to say, I want to want God's will, not mine. I want to want to follow God's plans and purposes for my life. And until our prayer is, God, I want to want what you want for me more than I want what I want for me. Until we get to that point, we're still being a consumer, not a follower. See, we all have choices to make in our faith. We can be a consumer and we can continue to look to Jesus to give us what we want in life. We can look to God and like Judas, ask God to do things our way and in our time and then, and then just step forward and do it. Or we can stop in those moments and we can pray, God, help me want what you want. Not what I want, but what you want. And that's the prayer of someone who turns to Jesus when Jesus says, come follow me. Come, follow me. Let's pray together. Lord, we confess that we love our lives as they are. We struggle with even the idea of change. We wrestle with the thought of doing things differently. But we know that the life we cling to here is so short. Only you Lord, can give us true life in fullness and abundance. So forgive us for holding on to the wrong things. Teach us by your Spirit to let go of our own agendas. Help us to let go of our self-righteousness and our false notions of power. And give us the strength and the courage to follow you, to fully embrace you as our Lord and our Savior. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.